but thought. And you, dear Euryclea, have nothing left in store for you but ten or twenty years at the most, during which your strength will gradually decline and your rheumatic pains increase. And then what? How long is a day when you are dead? This preoccupation of mine with death excuses, or at least explains, the most unusual decision I have recently taken of securing for myself a posthumous life under the mantle of Homer. May the blessed gods, who see all, and whom I never neglect to honour, grant me success in this endeavour, and conceal the fraud. Phemius, the bard, has sworn an unbreakable oath to put my poem in circulation, thus paying the debt he incurred on that bloody afternoon when, at the risk of my own life, I saved him from the two-edged sword. As for my condition and lineage, I am a princess of the Elements, a mixed race living on and about Eryx, the great bee-haunted mountain which dominates the westernmost corner of three-sided Sicily, and takes its name from the heather upon which countless bees pasture. We Elements pride ourselves on being the remotest nation of the civilised world, though this is indeed to disregard certain flourishing Greek colonies planted in Spain and Mauritania since we first made the boast. Not to mention the Phoenicians, who, though non-Greek and addicted to barbarous human sacrifice, have some claims to be called civilised, and are securely established at Carthage, Utica, and elsewhere on the African coast. I must now give a brief account of our origins. My father claims descent in the direct male line from the hero Egestus. Egestus was born in Sicily, a son of the river god Crimisus, and the exiled Trojan noblewoman Egesta, but is said to have sailed to Troy at King Priam's request when King Agamemnon of Mycenae besieged the city. Troy, however, was fated to fall and Egestus had been fortunate to escape death among the Achaean spears. Roused from sleep by his kinsman Aeneas the Dardanian, as soon as the enemy, breaking into Troy, began to massacre the drowsy inhabitants, he led a party of Trojans out through the Sean Gate and away to Abydus. Abydus being a fortress on the Hellespont, where, so they say, mindful of a prophetic warning given by his mother, he kept three well-provisioned ships moored in readiness. Aeneas also escaped. Cutting his way through the Achaean forces to Mount Ida, he made preparations there for embarking his Dardanian subjects in a fleet beached at Percoti, and presently followed in Agestus's wake. A fresh gale carried Agestus southwestward across the Aegean Sea, past Cythera, Aphrodite's island, and westward across the Sicanian Sea until he sighted Etna, the ever-burning mountain which rises on the opposite side of Sicily from us. Here he landed and drew water for his fleet before steering south to round Cape Pelorus. Five days later, the Aegean Islands rose into view and he thankfully beached his ships in the landlocked bay of Rythrum, under the shadow of Mount Eryx, where he had been born. A blue halcyon bird skimmed past the ship's stems, and at this sign of favour from the goddess Thetis, who calms the sea, Egestus burned them in her honour. 
But first he prudently unloaded all the cargo, cordage, sails, metal, and other objects which might be of use to him ashore. It was to commemorate this sacrifice, offered some four hundred years ago, that my parents named me Norsikia, which means burning of ships. No other Greek-speaking colonists had as yet settled in western Sicily. The entire island, except for a few Cretan colonies, was then inhabited by Sicans, an Iberian race, many of whom had befriended Aegestus and his mother in their strong city of Eryx, which nestles on the mountain's knees. Aegestus approached their king, his foster father, with noble gifts of cauldrons, tripods and bronze weapons fetched from Troy, interceding for the Trojan refugees. And though, being a naturally morose and self-sufficient race, the Sicans of Eryx did not disguise their suspicions, the king at last persuaded his council to let it...